0: welcome to the do one better podcast i am alberto legge you're a host from london and as a regular listeners know the purpose of the podcast is to inspire you to be more philanthropic to act more sustainably and to embrace social entrepreneurship please subscribe to the show it makes a huge difference and please tell your friends also it makes a very big difference indeed today we're talking to paul smith lomas and paul is the ceo of practical action And Practical Action is an innovative international development organization that's putting ingenious ideas to work so people in poverty can change their world. Their patron is Prince Charles, the Prince of Wales. They partner with some amazing organizations like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, the IKEA Foundation, DFID here in the UK. And today we're going to be focusing on systemic change, particularly systemic change in Bangladesh as it pertains to water sanitation interesting conversation today and Paul welcome onto the do want better podcast today
1: thank you very much really pleased to be with you today
0: it's a pleasure to have you on board why don't we start by hearing a little bit about practical action this uh, organization that you're leading
1: yes I mean as you you highlighted we're an organization that finds helps to find ingenious solutions to problems that people face so that people can change their world when with lasting, locally owned solutions. We're an interesting organization because we're actually a group of entities. We, Part of us, we're a charity uh, registered in the UK, running projects um, in Africa, Asia, Latin America. But also we run a publishing company and uh, a registered consulting company. And through the combined efforts of those sort of three types of organizations, we work really hard to find those ingenious solutions to capture the learning. And then a a really big part of our effort is to share learning so that others might benefit, replicate our work so that we might see something small that that we start help to bring about much bigger change. So we talk about big change starts small.
0: Mm. And you have a global footprint, right? You're based here in the UK, but you operate internationally in various countries.
1: Yes, we work in about 12 countries at any one time.
0: Okay. Okay. And many, how many people are in the team?
1: So in total, just over 600 staff, but we partner with a lot of organizations. So our work spreads way beyond our own individual offices and our own individual projects. Right.
0: And if my research serves me right, your operating budget is roughly about 30 million pounds a year that you're investing into charitable activities. Yes, that's right. Excellent. Excellent. And tell me, so what does the organization do? Tell us a little bit about what the organization does and the sort of thematic areas that's uh, that's front and center for you guys.
1: So we're a very practical organization, practical action. Uh, There's something about the name uh, Mm. says it all. And we focus on areas uh, at the moment around farming that works, around energy and energy access, energy that transforms people's lives, helping to build resilience, and then lastly, urban making urban centers safer for people to live in, particularly in our work on water sanitation and hygiene.
0: Yes. And water sanitation is going to be the, the key area that we're going to focus on. I know ahead of the podcast we were having a chat about the various projects that you guys are running and some really interesting work being done in Bangladesh uh, in partnership with the government there and truly of relevance to the whole country. Tell us a little bit about the work that you're doing out there in Bangladesh with water sanitation. I know you described it as not necessarily a sexy topic, but one that is highly consequential to the well-being of the population.
1: Yes, this is, we're talking about poo. Um, and, uh, it's one of those soft topics we spend a lot of time talking about my own professional background is as a water and sanitation engineer. So I, I get, I get very excited about it. And I tend to think that once people get inside the subject with us, they can also get really excited about it.
0: And what's the, what's the project about? Tell us a little bit about, um, how it came around and, uh, and the, the change that it's making on the ground.
1: So we've been working with Marginalized urban communities in slum areas in towns and cities around Bangladesh Helping them to find ways to improve their lives helping to improve their living conditions And a particular problem that we that we found Working with communities is the problem of shit Hmm. Many many people living in these unplanned areas They uh, they have access to a latrine uh, A hole dug in the ground, a slab over across the top, which people use as their their toilet, which is a great, simple, reliable form of technology uh, that helps people to improve their lives. But the challenge was, the challenge that we found, that particularly in the uh, informal settlement areas, where streets are very small and quite crowded, that emptying the pit latrines was a huge problem. In actual fact, if you looked across the country as a whole, something like 80,000 tons of shit is produced every day, and over 90% of that shit remains untreated. Now, what happens often in these um, informal slum areas is that emptying the pit latrines becomes the task of informal waste workers, literally emptying pits by hand, Filling buckets and then, for the lack of a decent disposal system, often dumping the sludge out in open watercourses, creating you can imagine a terrible health threat to people living in those
0: areas. What's the scale of the of the challenge out there in Bangladesh? What are we looking at?
1: Well, you're talking about um, you're talking about something that would fill about thirty Olympic swimming pools every day. You're talking about a population, a total population of Bangladesh, about 160 million people and perhaps 40 percent of those people living um, under poverty level. So a huge number of people without adequate access to safe sanitation and safe sanitation is is a matter for the whole population, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. not just people living in those slum areas. So obviously health, uh, healthy environment affects the whole population. So working with cooperatives, uh, creating cooperatives of waste workers and then engaging in partnership with a whole range of actors, with local municipal authorities, engaging with the academics. Uh, Leeds University did a whole study with us on uh, looking at the market system of mm-hmm. sludge and then also engaging with microfinance cooperatives in Bangladesh, we, if you like, developed a system, a system that started at the very grassroots level. How do you get pits emptied in a safe and reliable way? What can you do with the sludge? How could it be treated? How could it be turned into some kind of business? And then how can the system bring all of the, the relevant pieces together to create something that can be sustained in the longer term. And we we created that system in partnership with with all of those actors.
0: What does the solution look like? So here you have these uh, 30 Olympic uh, swimming pools on a daily basis. Uh, it's difficult to conceive exactly what that looks like. What, uh, what mechanisms are you deploying to try to, um, it sounds to me also you're looking at market-based solutions here.
1: Yeah, so at the the grassroots level, it's um, simple pumping technology. It's giving simple tools to be able to safely um, suck out uh, the sludge and transport it to a collection point and then on to a very low cost, simple treatment system that would dry out the sludge and turn it into a fertilizer and in doing so create a saleable product. So yes, you're absolutely right. This is about creating a market system. So we helped to develop and hone, if you like, reasonably simple technologies, but make them absolutely applicable to the local environments of the of the towns and cities that we were working with in Bangladesh. But also helping to make the system work as a whole, we worked with the municipalities to license the operators we helped to develop a small app so that um city dwellers could um order up and buy in the service and then also leave feedback for when they've got a decent um a decent service from the providers providers mm-hmm. got a decent a decent pay they were licensed operators and then they would take the sludge off to a central treatment place And a separate entity then runs the treatment station, turning the sludge into a fertilizer and they then sell that fertilizer back into the market so that farmers can uh, improve the organic uh, content of their soil. It's not a fully profitable system. It's a system that has to rely on a certain amount of government subsidy. But it's a system that's attracted A lot of attention from neighbouring cities and now forms part of the Bangladesh government's national plans for safe sanitation in informal settlements uh, around the country as a whole. So that's if you like our next target as practical action is how can we take our direct experience working with uh, a small number of towns and cities in one part of the country how do we now see that replicated across other cities across the country
0: fascinating and tell me so when was there an awareness that this was a problem in bangladesh i'm just trying to get the sequencing of events here so when was there an awareness that this was a problem that needed to be addressed and then how did you go about uh, figuring out what would be ideal to do and how did you get the attention of, of an organization like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation?
1: So this is, I guess, one of those stories where change can take time. So mm-hmm. this actually goes back 10 years. And in fact, we were working with, um, with another non-government organization, WaterAid. Yeah. And in conversations and engaging with them, we could see that while latrine coverage in Bangladesh was going up, the challenge of sludge was not being addressed and particularly not being addressed for small informal settlements where the classic sewage system, the water-based piped sewage system that perhaps you or I might be familiar with in cities like uh, London, was simply never going to work in Um, in unplanned settlements, and even less when you see the the rapid growth of um, cities and towns around the world, we know that the the water-based toilet system is just not going to work. There isn't enough water in the world, and there isn't satisfactory pace of development of urban centres to allow the continuation of the water-based sewage system. So we've known for some time that there has to be another way. And we started back then piloting our first efforts at urban-based sewage treatment systems and um, built our first station in Faridpul, um almost 10 years ago now.
0: <laughs> and getting funding, getting backing from Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, was that a straightforward deal, or was it a little bit of of a arduous process
1: so we're very we're very lucky uh very fortunate as practical action, and perhaps similar in some ways to to Water who went into partnership with us at the very beginning of this is we have a certain number of individual supporters um people perhaps um Individuals, not necessarily wealthy individuals at all, but people who will give us 10, perhaps 15 pounds uh, a month Mm -hmm. to allow uh, to give us money so that we can do things ourselves without necessarily having to reach out to institutions such as the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation or such as the IKEA Foundation or such as the British government department for international development so our first efforts were were using our own uh, cash to allow us to try things out to innovate to take risks and indeed our first efforts uh, to be honest didn't succeed mm. uh we we got into all sorts of troubles uh local communities got worried about smell um we had some challenges with land and we had some challenges with the technology itself. By the time we'd got to a stage where something was working on the ground is the moment when we got um, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation interested. They've been interested in sanitation systems for a number of years and they've got offices in the South Asia region and through our contacts there, um, we got their engagement supporting us to take some of our very, very early ideas to begin to build the system and then ultimately to work towards a systems map that we would al- would allow us then to take solutions, seek solutions that could go to scale.
0: Well, congratulations, no, no small feat there. So you've identified the problem, you've identified some solutions that have overcome some initial challenges You've secured funding both from individuals and from the likes of uh, major foundations, and now tell me, how do you then go into Dhaka or, or the, speak to the national government in Bangladesh and say, look, this is what we want to do. We want to create systemic change here. We can't do it by ourselves. We need the governments, uh, both national and, and, and local, to be involved. How does that conversation then play out?
1: I mean that conversation is really led from uh practical actions, national staff working long term uh inside the country, engaging both at municipal level but then also at national level so we we've been working in Bangladesh for uh twenty five or thirty years now those building those relationships building uh we often talk of ourselves um refer to ourselves as a trusted partner so we're we're known to want to engage mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and partner with government you build those relationships both of interest in talking in finding solutions that can work and then you build you you build a sense of trust on delivering what you say you will and and um over time you you begin to engage and get people excited. Um so we've worked with the the Department of Local Government. So mm-hmm. not actually in Dhaka as an Uber city is beyond our our reach. It's really the small and medium sized uh towns and cities where we see our approach particularly working. But the municipality the uh, central government Um, local government and then also the Ministry of Water and Sanitation seeing our work actually delivering on the ground I think is probably one of the most powerful ways that you can persuade somebody that you think you've got something that's worthwhile um, giving attention and backing and so actually physically going building things Making them work proving that they'll work and building a community of others working with us I think has been a a key part uh, Of our ability to take these sort of conversations to national level
0: and it would be quite difficult to do the work You're doing without the backing of the government would that be fair to say or not necessarily
1: that would be completely um, appropriate, yeah, mm. we without partnerships without reaching out and engaging with larger actors then we are we are but a drop in the ocean um for the size and scale of the challenges of say sanitation in bangladesh or food security across africa it it's the ideas that we bring it's the partnerships that we can help to find it's not it's not what we can physically deliver on the ground it will never be that and i always think that's that's our role mm-hmm. as a civil society organization. We've got that, um, the ability to to make connections that perhaps others can't make. And we've got the ability to innovate, take risks and be ready to uh, try and to fail. That's great. In fact, in fact, I met the minister of local government um, a couple of years ago when I was in Bangladesh. And he said to me, I see practical action as my research and development division, mm. which I thought was quite a nice. That's um, a great thing to hear. Compliment that he saw how we could take risks in perhaps ways that government can't.
0: What does the uh, team look like? Your team in Bangladesh? How many people do you have?
1: So we've got about um, about a hundred staff in Bangladesh in total, which is probably one of our biggest offices. Um, We work in uh, three or four provinces around the country. We have a small uh, central office in Dhaka. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And within that, then we've got a number of professional groups. So we have a a group that focuses particularly on the water and sanitation work, the work I've just been describing. We've also got um, an agriculture team that look at both farming, and then also uh, fisheries. So those are the Mm -hmm. two areas that we particularly focus on. And we've done some work on early warning systems, looking at floods, flood warning systems, and how people can uh, prepare for and respond to weather warnings.
0: Mm -hmm. And when the minister over there tells you that you guys are analogous to his own R&D function or research and development function, tell me a little bit about the, the research that you do do um, or do you do it in house? Do you commission academic research? How do you drive forward the the knowledge base?
1: Again, that sense of being a practical organization, we're we're looking for ideas and solutions that um, uh, to problems that people face, and those ideas, I guess, I mean, they can come from anywhere. So also in Bangladesh, we've been doing a lot of work um, on farming techniques, for example, mm-hmm. and how people, large areas of um, dry, sandy banks appear uh, after each flooding season. And because it's it's pretty arid land, once the waters have receded, uh, it's, it's never farmed. But working with farmers, we spotted a technique that had been long forgotten, of how you can uh actually grow crops on dry riverbanks with a tiny amount of additional fertilizer mm-hmm. and turn what would be fallow land into into highly productive land, which is particularly valuable for people without access to land of their own. So that was a that was an old farming technique that had been around for decades, possibly even centuries. So Sometimes it's about finding solutions like that, that come from um, old established knowledge and mm-hmm. simply revitalizing and re and reinvigorating it, if you like. Sometimes on the other end of the spectrum, it's working with high tech um, companies. So we've been working with um, the space agency in the UK, um, help getting them to help us to improve weather forecasting and modelling of um, modelling of, of hillsides in India to look at how to improve prediction for mudslides. Mm-hmm. So that was a collaboration between the Space Agency with King's College in London, uh, the Department of Hydrogeology in Delhi, and then our own staff working on the ground in India. Hmm. So sometimes it's those it's those sort of slightly quirky and different collaborations that will bring also some quite exciting results. And that, that work on mudslide prediction is another really interesting piece yeah. of work we're involved in at the moment.
0: And tell me, how did you get into all of this? So what's your career trajectory? How did you end up being the CEO of Practical Action?
1: So... I'm uh I'm an engineer by background. Um I spent a number of years working in the UK as um a water and sanitation engineer in the construction industry. And um in my 20s I was inspired to take uh, a posting with voluntary service overseas VSO. Mm, VSO great. To, to to go and work as uh, a water and sanitation engineer in Sudan.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I just found that was something that I felt I was stimulated by. I felt able to do something of of real meaning and um, able to learn so much. I sort of got hooked um, and shifted from a career path of being a, I suppose, what you might have called a traditional. Um, construction engineer to become much more focused on development engineering. And I've pursued a career of various forms working on that path. And so practical action, I guess, is is really a second home for me now.
0: Excellent. In terms of the next 10 years, so if we look at the Sustainable Development Goals, 2030 is that, that target date that everyone's talking about. 10 years away is not, not really a long way away at all. What is uh, what does success look like for you? If we're having a, a chat in ten years' time, what is it that you would have loved to uh, to accomplish with uh, practical action?
1: I guess my real ambition is is for us to get out of the things that we're currently doing. So we we, we talk quite a bit about our work in water and sanitation. We're also quite involved in off grid electrification, looking at how renewable. Off-grid systems can provide electricity for for people to lead productive lives. We also do a certain amount of work on food security, and making farming systems to work for people. And I think in all of those cases, you know, you you've got one uh, one eye on thinking how can we break, how can we bring our experiences, our knowledge, how can we find better solutions, and how can we share those with others. Mm-hmm. But I guess the 10-year horizon has to be, how can we stop doing this work? So if if we're deeply involved in genius ways to get um, slum communities access to safe sanitation today, then 10 years time, we we have to have stopped that. We have to have seen a tipping point so that the work that we're doing today is now is being done by others and led mm-hmm. and developed and pioneered by others in 10 years' time. Maybe mm. maybe we've moved on to another technical problem. Maybe we've moved on to um, a practical challenge that that, uh, that hasn't found solutions just yet. But really, I guess my my aim for practical action in 10 years' time is that we've completely stopped our current work and we've started something very different.
0: Mm. Are you feeling optimistic for 2030?
1: For the whole of the sustainable development goals, it's difficult to be optimistic right now. Mm. There have to be lots of things that we that we are positive about. I mean, if you look at some of the statistics around the um, levels of poverty, levels of absolute poverty that are, are going down. Mm-hmm. Then there's, there's good reason to be positive, to say this is a positive trajectory. But leaving no one behind, that's going to be tough. Mm-hmm. That's going to be really tough.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If a philanthropist is listening to the show, if an individual who's never been in, involved in philanthropy is listening to the show, if a foundation or just any interested party, how can they get a hold of you? How can they get involved? What are the different ways that somebody might be able to uh, support Practical Action?
1: So Practical Action, we're obviously, we're on the, the web. So practicalaction.org.uk, people can find us there. So we're obviously, like any charity today, very willing to to take donations. Mm-hmm. Um, but we work in partnership with quite a lot of organizations as well. So with with larger actors... Uh, really interested in taking on new ideas and new partnerships in fact in uh, just thinking in Bangladesh we we're we're talking now with a group called Lamour Foundation Mm -hmm. who have they're involved in oil cleanups oil spill cleanups and they reached out to us just um, a few months ago now to say they think they've got some technologies that could really help to screen plastics out of river systems so we're now partnering with them seeking joint funding bringing their technology our engagement with with people with partners with government on the ground seeking to prove a technological solution prove a business model that might work and similarly something that might ultimately be taken to scale so we're open to really open to partnering with a whole range of actors, private sector, other non-government organizations, such as the WaterAid story I mentioned earlier on. And then, of course, um, uh, always ready to, to reach out and talk to loads of people, like yourself, for example, Roberto.
0: Excellent, excellent. Well, I'm glad you are talking to, uh, to us here, which is great. So, Paul, Paul, before we wrap up, also, I understand you, you have produced a book, that provides some really interesting insight on this as well for anybody who's interested
1: yeah so with support from the world bank we've produced a book uh septage treatment in middle income countries now selling uh, at a bookshop near you but sold in over 90 countries around the world so the story in four languages is now being spread all our, all around the world which is so great
0: great so anyone interested in finding a little bit more that's also a source of information worth taking a look at tell me before we wrap up if there's one key takeaway that you'd love to share with our audience something that once they uh, finish listening to today's episode they should keep in mind what would that key takeaway be
1: i mean it's got to be if, it's, if you can lock
0: it, it down to one
1: it's all about the team mm. if you've got um a motivated team that is ready and willing to work together for a common purpose, then, then you're powerful. So as, as, as practical action, this, this sort of quirky combination of charity projects, of a publishing company and a consulting wing brings really different perspectives together. And I think through that, we create some of the more ingenious ideas that can take
0: solutions to scale. Excellent, it's all about the team wonderful paul listen it has been an absolute pleasure having you on the show today to our audience thank you so much for listening for tuning in it's always very very much appreciated and paul wonderful having you on the do one better podcast today really enlightening and i appreciate your time and uh and shedding so much information on this topic great
1: thank you very much really good to talk